The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. Importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo and help your organization move forward in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I can promise you're in the right place, as always. The buzz today is faster, smarter. Hmm, that's something to ponder. Well, let's talk about it. Today, you don't need to be a statistician to access sophisticated analytics online and run them incredibly fast. Almost anyone can do that. But despite the powerful tools that are available to companies of all sizes, and guess what? Our audience is comprised of companies of all sizes all over the world. So we're speaking to everyone who's listening. Despite this, many organizations are still spending too much time gathering the data and not enough time analyzing and interpreting it. That's where the gold is. This brings up a bunch of questions. Number one, will disseminating these tools to all levels of your company enable superior decisions that will put you on the right path, the better path to business growth and sustainability? Well, that's a big question. Another question, is data quality still a challenge? You know, scrubbing it and cleansing it and getting it all cleaned up, is that still an issue on the table? And the third question we want to ask today is, are your boards required? Quest for analytics, ending up giving them too many choices that are bogging down their decision-making efficiency. You know, too much of a good thing? Hmm. Well, stick around for the answers. We have a panel of experts who are going to help us solve the problems of the world today. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome Derek Loranca. If you want to look him up, it's L-O-R-A-N-C-A. He leads the Business Intelligence Center for Excellence for a Fortune 50 healthcare company. And Derek has sent me a wonderful quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Those of you scratching your head saying, who is Neil deGrasse Tyson? He's an American astrophysicist, cosmologist, author, and science communicator. We see him all the time on TV here in, in New York. And since 1996, he has been the Frederick P. Rose Director of the Hayden Planetarium, yes, at the Rose Center for Earth and Space in New York City. Here's the quote. Anytime scientists disagree, it's because we have insufficient data. Then we can agree on what kind of data to get. We get the data, and the data solves the problem, and we move on, dot, dot, dot. Derek Laranca, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well this morning, Bonnie. How are you? I'm delighted. A little rumor says it that you were about 90 minutes ago sitting on an Amtrak train hoping that the engine would go choo-choo-choo and get you to New York in time for the show. Is that true? That is true. The uh Unfortunately, Amtrak had some more issues like last night as well here in the New York area, and uh, I was able to hop off on an alternative and still make it to call in on time. So no, no worries on my part. 
Uh, we are delighted to have fun. you. Tell, tell me about this Neil deGrasse Tyson quote. This is the first time Mr. Tyson has been quoted on one of our many, many, many Game Changers radio shows. So I'm very intrigued. Anytime scientists disagree, it's because we have insufficient data, blah, blah, blah. Talk to me. What does this really mean in terms of our topic today is faster, smarter? Derek? I think it tied in perfectly because when, especially the last point when we were, you know, of, of, of your introduction in that when you're talking about, you know, getting data, folks asking for data, uh, there's, there always tends to be and can be a disagreement on what the data means. Uh, and, you know, with the words data scientist and data analysis, uh, a lot of times everybody can read data one way or the other. And that's why I thought the quote was fantastic and the fact that it was, Scientists disagree until the data matches, and they not necessarily saying who is right, but what the mm-hmm. data is saying. And then when you read those data tea leaves, you'll know that it's time to move on to some other point of discussion. Uh, and given how fast those data points are coming and how fast they can be analyzed nowadays, it just seemed to make sense to tie that kind of quote into our discussion today. You know, fast data, fast decisions, and hopefully fast analysis. I, I agree. And Derek, on a show last week, somebody gave a very well-known quote. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was, uh, there are three kinds of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. Have you ever heard of that one? Yes. I, I, <laughs> I thought about using that one as well, but I said, I, I, when, I, when I read Neil's quote, you know, Mr. DeGrasse Tyson's quote and saw, all right, it, it's not, we're not using the classic lies, damned lies, and statistics. It's kind of the same thing, but kind of modernized given the fact that you know, lies, damn lies, and statistics. Statistics no more is, isn't changing uh, or isn't the quote anymore. It's data and big data. So it's kind of the same thing, but in a different way and been modernized, if you think about it. In the same way our data capture and data analysis from the days of, you know, folks, you know, chunked in a room with, you know, adding machines and, you know, theories and formulas. Now it's just computerized versions. Thank you, Derek. Great quote. Really appreciate it and glad you made it to New York in time to be with us. And let me introduce our second panel. Oh, my pleasure. Second panelist is Gil Gomez. He is a partner in global business services at IBM. And here is a quote from Leonardo da Vinci. I think it's been a long time since da Vinci has been on Game Changers Radio. But those of you looking for a little trivia, because you know that's what I love, Leonardo da Vinci's real name was Leonardo de Ser Piero da Vinci. And he is referred to as the Father of paleontology alongside George Cuvier. And one more thing, his genius, perhaps more than that of any other figure, epitomized the Renaissance humanist ideal. Leonardo has been described as the archetype of the Renaissance man, a man of unquenchable curiosity and feverishly inventive imagination, which really makes him perfect for our topic today, looking for Being curious, unquenchable curiosity, looking for the answers. So here's the quote. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Gil Gomez, thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Delighted. Tell me how you came to introduce Leonardo da Vinci into our topic today. You know, when we were talking about, you know, the, what we wanted to talk about on the show, it's this, I just kind of came up to me. Uh, I, I read across this quote in a totally different context. And I saw it, and I was thinking about the show, right? And I had actually given you an earlier quote, but I, I thought that this was more appropriate. You know, as, as we are, as, as I'm, you know, working through information, you know, for the last 20 years and access to data and analytics and business intelligence and whatever you want to call it, right, you know, it is so easy to really get bogged down on the vast amounts of data, vast amounts of tools out there, processes, you know, approaches, if you will. 
uh, it's becoming, again, it's, it, it, in my opinion, it's becoming muddled, right? It's, and that's really where, you know, we have so much access, so much availability of information bombarded by, you know, you know, trillions of, uh, of points of data every day, just in our liver, everyday life, not, not to mention in our, in our business life. Um, you know, we, we find a way, and I've looked at ways to, how do we simplify? How do I filter, you know, that information to, to what makes sense, right? What is it really the, the just because you can, um, you know, access it and, and report on it and display it and, and analyze it, it doesn't mean it makes sense, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's really where, where the focus is of the quote is that, uh, you know, when you simplify, when you really take a step back and say, what is this, what is it really, what is important? How do I keep keep it simple? Frankly, for lack of a better word, obviously it's it's that's where where this comes up, and I think that gives you some amazing insights if you have that simpli- the, the simplicity that it leads to that sophistication of decision making. For example, that's how I view this quote. Um, uh, and you know, I research I researched the quote a little bit, and again, there's a lot of there's a lot of this um, there's a lot of different uh, uh, interpretations of it. But personally, that's how I interpret it: simplify it to be able to be more sophisticated in your decision making. Thank you, Gil. Great points. And I have a question for you. I'll pose this to the rest of the panel later. Do you think when uh, companies are hiring data scientists today, they should put in, we're looking for people with unquenchable curiosity who have a feverishly inventive imagination? Do you think that would look good on, on a job description? <laughs> I, I, I think so. I think, honestly, I mean, I, I would love to work there. And, and the fact that, you know, you need, you want to be curious and find ways and be innovative and creative, and, you know, use the word innovative quite a bit in our world and, and across all business, obviously. But yes, I think that's that's a great uh, job description and a great characteristic to have in your data scientists and frankly, in, in your workforce in general. You need to have that to be able to succeed today. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Great quote of welcome, Gil. And let's bring on our third panelist. Well, I think we're going to have to make him a regular installation here at Game Changers Radio because he makes so many appearances. It's Timo Elliott. He's a senior director and global innovation evangelist for SAP. And Timo sent me an interesting quote that most of you will think came from Albert Einstein, but I did my homework. Timo knows I did a lot of digging around on this one. And it turns out the quote is from William Bruce Cameron, a sociologist who wrote it in a paper that was delivered on informal sociology, a casual introduction to sociological thinking in 1963. Here's the quote, and everybody, it will sound familiar. Not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. So we're going to go on record as saying, not exactly Einstein, more like Cameron. Timo Elliott, how are you today? I'm great, thank you, Bonnie. Good morning. Good morning, and you're calling from where in Spain, I understand? That's right, a business trip to Madrid. Beautiful day here. And Madrid is a beautiful city. So, Timo, I'm sorry to have to uh, squash the Einstein attribution, but you know I'm always very curious about where these famous words came from, and Einstein's name is being bandied about. So talk to me. Not everything that can be counted counts. Not everything that counts can be counted. Sounds like a a little bit of circular reasoning, but it sounds like it's almost in line with the Da Vinci quote that Gil shared, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So talk to me, Timo. Well, first of all, thank you for correcting me. I did think it was <laughs> Einstein, but no. And now I've actually looked up the full quote, as you did, and I thought this would be a nice one for Jill. Uh, let me read the full quote. Quote: It would be nice if all the data which sociologists require could be enumerated, because then we could run them through IBM machines and draw charts as the economists do. However, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. 
And actually, I think it's the perfect quote that matches both uh, Jill's quote and uh, Derek's in that it's about technology. Technology can make us smarter. We can do things in a more sophisticated way. But the end of the day, decision-making and using data is all about people. And as soon as you bring people into the equation, and this is where William Bruce Cameron comes in with as a sociologist who's career was dedicated to figuring out with limited data what that really meant to people. It's clear that we can always improve what we do with data, but at the end of the day, it's people, process, and culture that is the biggest limiting factor. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm so glad you looked that up and got the rest of the quote, Timo. I'm, I'm actually very honored that you did that. So thank you. Great quote. Yeah, um, it all applies to our topic today. What we're really looking for is the answer to the questions I posed in the beginning. Does simplifying access to data make us smarter? And smarter is really a loaded word. What does it mean to any particular company? What do they need to be smarter about? We're going to be looking into that during our roundtable discussion. But first, the order of business is I have to ask my panelists what they're drinking right now or what they're thinking about drinking after the show. So Derek Laranca, I know you're in New York City. I know it looks like uh, it's a fairly sunny day here because I'm on Long Island. So what are you drinking right this second, Derek, or what are you dreaming about drinking? Talk to me. Unfortunately, I'm drinking yet another cup of, you know, coffee regular from, from, you know, from the vendor down the road here in the East Village. Uh, since I had to get up at, oh, God, early this morning to make the train in from Pennsylvania to New York City. Uh, but I'm dreaming about some, probably something margarita village, something to put my flip-flops in the sand and dip my toes in the water. That's what I'm dreaming of. Ah, sounds very, very interesting. Any particular flavor of margarita or just uh, whatever, whatever the bartender is serving up? What? Oops, did we lose him? I think we lost Derek momentarily. He's uh, he's going to be oh. ordering up that margarita. Are you back, Derek? <laughs> I'm here. It looks like Skype decided to cut out a little bit. But, yep, the margarita, whatever's uh, cool, delicious, and, non- and not expensive. <laughs> okay. He's, he's uh, cost-effective as well. Gil Gomez, where are you calling from? And I'm afraid to ask, what's in your cup today, or what are you thinking about? <laughs> I, I don't know what you're afraid to ask, but you know, I'm calling from you know, beautiful Evergreen, Colorado, just outside of Denver, so up in the mountains. Uh, nice. Chris chilly morning, Chris chilly morning out here, which is you know great this time of year for us. Uh, I am also drinking a very large cup of uh, home brewed coffee, which is great. Uh, that's usually how I start my morning. But um, you know, I, I'm uh, Derek. I, I've not met Derek, but obviously a man after my own heart. Uh, I also am dreaming of a, of, a, of a margarita. But now my my particular margarita, my wife makes this amazing uh, cucumber infused margarita. Which is a it's, it, 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 it's extremely you know very refreshing you know it's kind of our summer drink. Uh, she will always have a picture out in the, in the in the fridge you know during the summer the weekends etc. And uh, uh, we tend to do a lot of happy hours with our neighbors uh, with around her picture of uh, cucumber infused margarita. So uh, we go homemade. She makes her own you know uh, uh, syrups etc. And all that. So it, it makes them very special. Very uh, great great summer drink for us. 
Wow. I think we all need to be invited over to Gil Gomez's house for happy hour. I'm looking online, by the way. There is a cucumber margarita recipe at foodandwine.com. And there is one, uh, and there's a cucumber infused tequila recipe on Pinterest and on Mm -hmm. food and wine as well. So it looks like cucumbers are the order of the day. Well, that's very interesting. I feel refreshed already. Thank you, Gil Gomez. And a shout out to your wife, somebody who makes their own syrup for margaritas. This is really cool stuff. Timo Elliott, what's the popular drink in Madrid right now, or what are you thinking about drinking? It's a hot, sunny afternoon here, so I have some orange juice and soda water, the closest thing I could get to a cocktail while still staying lucid. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. And as Timo knows, but Derek and Gil will find out, they only let Bonnie have water on radio show days. We don't need any extra caffeine here. No, we don't. But let's see. I've got a beautiful pink straw in my glass of water today. So I'm thinking of Margaritaville as well. Guess what? It's time for us to take a break. We've had a really good opening. I'm speaking today with Derek LaRanca, who works for a Fortune 50 healthcare company. Gil Gomez with our friends at IBM. Always happy to have IBM on the show. And Timo Elliott, I think he's uh, you know going to be here forever. And we're delighted every time Timo surfaces and joins us for an interesting topic. So, topic today, does simplifying access to data make us smarter? I'm going to turn the us around to you. Does simplifying access to your data make you and your executives and your board smarter? We're going to address it all when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and extensive business networks and complex supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Digital World with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital World with Game Changers. Here we are. We're speaking today with Derek LaRonca, Gil Gomez, and Timo Elliott. And let's take a look at Derek LaRonca's notes here from before the show. By the way, our topic is, Does Simplifying Access to Your Data Make You and Your Company Smarter? Very important, very basic question. So, Derek sent me the following statement, and we're going to kick off the roundtable with this. While data itself may become a commodity, 
the expertise in the analysis of the data and the use of the tools to do that analysis is not easy to commoditize. Sounds very interesting. Derek, why don't you explain, expand, and then we'll ask your co-panelists to chime in. Go ahead, Derek. Thanks, Bonnie. I, I, I put that together because as the words, you know, data science and, you know, data analysis become more uh, less, you know, technical and more mainstream, the, the, the the skills and the, and, and the talent and necessarily the, the line of thinking to really make those things successful is still a limited commodity uh, because when we're changing our mindsets from small chunks of data that aren't being returned fast or uh, the old school uh, ways of driving into things and spitting out an answer, driving into things, spitting out an answer, but those, those driving into the details takes forever. Uh, and now with new processes, data, and technologies allowing for uh, faster access to it, there's still not a huge realm of folks who have that necessary skill of being able to drive into the data, and then once they're analyzing it and then presenting it out in a way that's going to make sense for uh, executives and boards. Uh, It is a special talent for an individual to have to be able to understand the process of going through that you know, lake or warehouse or, you know, derived structure of data, uh, seeking out that, that, that answer that someone is asking for or maybe an answer that someone's not even really asking for and pulling it out and being able to really explain behind it in a non-scientific, non-technical reason why does it look this way. It looks this way because it, it looks this way and we can fix it or we need to enable more of it or how does this even become relevant to our to our business, to our P and L, to you know, to our speed to market? Uh, without that experience, you know, having it faster doesn't necessarily win you any awards. It doesn't win you the the, the account. It doesn't win you, uh, you know, the segment over your competitors. Just because you can get to it faster, if you don't understand or have the ability to communicate what you found and how to be faster, there I hate to say there's really no point, but you're then have to introduce other intermediary steps to get that data to somewhere that's usable for your executives. So even if the, fo- the person may not necessarily be able to go into t- the technical details and code their things together, uh, teaming up, you know, two, p- two heads can be better than one. But being able to work as a team like that is a commodity that sometimes in technical realms can be an issue. Uh, so if you've got so, an explainer and you've got a doer, two people can't actually be better than just one person who can, who can go and get it. Uh, that, that extra expense for that headcount or that for, for that analyst makes sense because Jane can explain it to the business, but Joe can be the one to get it out of the data. And he can get more and more out because of the new tools and the new technologies. So that investment in Joe and Jane and that technology uh, can make things faster and the com- that commodity can be commoditized. And then, there- therefore, that's a commodity out there that you're able to you know, spend yourself and you get earn that back. Kind of a bit of a rambling circle to it, but it- it- the logic there. You know, I think we got it. I've had. <laughs> Let's bring in Gil Gomez at IBM. Gil, can you can you help us unravel? No, I'm only teasing. Uh, Gil comments on what Derek just introduced. You know, I, I do agree to some extent, right? That uh, the the relevance, right? What I think, what I believe Derek's you know referring to is 
you have to bring in the, the data is only information if it's relevant to the business. What decision you're trying to make? I'm trying to improve my sales. I'm trying to understand my customer better. I need to understand, you know, what is the likelihood that my uh, supply chain will not be able to meet my demand, for example. Things like that, right? So now what they're going to talking about is the relevance. We need to have people to understand the data. So, you know, data is, can, can commoditize. I also, but I do believe that, you know, tools are becoming commodity. There's, there's so much technology out there, so much uh, very fantastic tools out there from all kinds of, you know, vendors, et cetera, that can provide that access. But I do believe that the relevance and that experience is important. Now, we're also, you know, seeing a lot of work now in the predictive analytics side where, you know, we still need, you know, where algorithms can predict all this and actually provide that answer. But you still need that understanding of the business to write that algorithm, right? So I do agree with Derek in the sense that, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, data is becoming a commodity, but the the knowledge, the understanding of how to interpret that information in a relevant way, that is what I think is, is definitely still uh, still a skill gap I, I, or or a need in in, our, in the business community and organizations, et cetera, where where you really have to be able to say, you know, I've got all this great information, I've got all this great data out there, I can get to even more, I can you know bring in you know petabytes from everywhere, from every every sensor I've got on my equipment, but you know what does that mean? I get back to the original point, you know, is that mm-hmm. is that the most efficient, simple way? And that is where I think, you know, that relevance and that experience will still need to exist in the long run. And, and, and having that, those, those you know, people, resources, understand how to use that asset. Uh, so it doesn't become a commodity. I think that's, that's where, where it comes in. So that's, that's kind of my, my, my take on that. I appreciate that. Timo Elliott, let's get you in on this party. What do you think? I think it goes back to what we mean when we say something is smart. Uh, the first mm-hmm. thing we mean is that person has data. Just think about uh, some meeting you've been in and people are discussing the success or failure of a marketing campaign or how to improve sales. And then as everybody's arguing their opinions, somebody brings out their laptop and says, oh, by the way, I actually have data. The entire room will fall to a hush and everybody will wait to hear those numbers. So that's the first part, is access to the information. But, of course, if the person is explaining that data in a way that makes no sense at all, nobody's going to think they're smart. So it's the, not only the access of data, but analyzing it, actually turning it into business sense. This is exactly the Joe and Jane that Derek just mentioned, or the business relevance that, uh, that Jill just mentioned. So we need both of those. And I think it's interesting as we go uh, for the rest of the show to think about how we're doing better in both of those areas and whether there are limits to what we can achieve. Thank you very much, Timo. I'm, I'm glad you covered the idea of what smart means. I, I think I asked that in my opening as well. What is smarter? What's the context? And what are we really looking for? And this also goes back to, I think, uh, something about Leonardo da Vinci. We mentioned unquenchable curiosity and I don't know about the inventive imagination, but the unquenchable curiosity to figure out what does this really mean and how can we apply it in a way that makes sense. Derek Loranka, I'm going to throw it back to you. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists said, Gil Gomez and Timo Elliott, on the topic you opened with? Go ahead, Derek. Oh, I, 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 I love Gil's uh, restatement of, you know, an agreement because he was a little more eloquently than I put Another point that I was thinking down, so no need to cover that. Great job on that one, Gil. Uh, and uh, you know, thanks to Timo on the, the, the you know the Joe Jane comparison there, because I do agree. I see I see it every day that as we dive headfirst into these in, into making these big data faster and 
accessible to everyone, that there's that skill gap is still there. And as folks start to deliver that skill gap and can answer the questions for management, those and even if, like I said, if it's Joe or Jane or just Jane, whomever's able to really uh, overcome that gap, that skill gap, and really learn to express the questions and uh, communicate the answers out in clear and concise format is going to be able to be, it's going to change the game for your business because you then have a go-to person for, for your division or for your department for, to get the answer to the questions you need that your management may be asking. Well put, Derek. And I'm, I'm thinking the word trust may come in here somewhere. I'm just going to open this up to the panel. Someone who's the go-to person for the information you need, but somebody whose analytic skills and common sense and understanding what they need to mean to the business you can trust. Is that part of the equation, Derek and Gil and Timo? Anybody? Yes, I think that uh, this is, you know, Gil speaking. I, I agree. I, absolutely. I think trust is a huge part of the, the equation because, um, you know, if you have a, a, a data quality problem, obviously immediately there is no trust in that data. If there's our skills issues or, you know, there's always, you know, trusting the messenger, if you will. If uh, I think Timo brought it up earlier. Uh, somebody who brings up data, oh, I've got the data, starts presenting it, but doesn't understand it or doesn't, you know, do a good job articulating it, you may, mm-hmm. immediately lose not only credibility, but, you know, do you really trust this person at that point, right? That's that's part of it. So absolutely. I think there's, there's trust in the actual data amount, source of it, how clean it is, and how it's being, you know, proliferated. Uh, we all know, you know, we can, you know, just because you have the access, you know, every, every time, you know, somebody can present in a very simplified, you know, PowerPoint Excel, you can change anything you want to. Uh, you need That's to be able right. to trust the messenger. You need to be tr- you need to be able to trust the messenger. So yes, absolutely, is a huge part of of the equation. I'm opinion. glad, Timo. Any thoughts on the trust issue? Trusting the messenger who has proven that they understand how to analyze the data appropriately for the business. For me, this is the big opportunity in analytics and data is in helping improve the skills of people to analyze information. We've had a huge leap forward in terms of how much data we have available and how quickly we can access it and how much of it we can store. But the we haven't had quite as big a leap in the skills of the people actually analyzing that data. We're getting better for sure, but I think if anything, as the technology gets better, the people analysis gap becomes more and more mm-hmm. important. Thank you, Timo. Thank you all for indulging my question. Gil Gomez, I'm taking a look at your notes. So much good information here. And I'm going to go in what I think is an interesting place. You say, the proliferation of analytics tools is also adding to the confusion by creating so many options to gather and analyze data that many companies struggle to understand how technology can address their analytics issues. Maybe, Gil, we can we can pose this in terms of, in my opening, I talked about the board saying we want to know X, Y, Z, and if there are too many tools, perhaps, and too many interpretations and too much data, are you confusing the board and delaying their decision-making? So maybe we could bundle those together. Gil, why don't you talk to me? Sure, absolutely. I think that that becomes, you know, the the ability. There are so many tools out there, so many options, and, and I've seen many companies where, um, you know, a certain department says, I need to have my own analytics platform because nobody understands my side of the business, so I'm going to buy whatever tool is great. Awesome. You know, so mm-hmm. I, can bring, I can start bringing in my own data, start analyzing it, while at the same time, you know, the corporate controllers or financial people are, are running the same numbers in a different tool, different, potentially the same source data, 
but different, you know, but funneled in a different way and slice and dice, analyze, you know, consumed in different ways, presented to the same board. So now I have two executives mm-hmm. in different areas working off the same data, working off different tool sets. And I, normally you come in with a different answer because, again, there's a lot of room to manipulate. And also it causes confusion from a, a support perspective, but kind of a, a proving back to a tactical. I have too many tools trying to do the same thing. That's very inefficient. Um, and, again, I think there's been – I like what Timo mentioned as well, that, you know, we're, our reliance on a technology is so much now, and that is really where the advances have come and because of the proliferation of data information. We need better, faster, easier tools. But that has also, um, I believe, I, I totally agree with his statement that he's saying that uh, the, the skills in analyzing the data and understanding what the data means, the true correlation and how they can be uh, used, is it, hindered our capability. A lot of folks are, have lost that capability, and we're not training enough new people to do that. We're training them how to run the tools. Uh, and I think that's a, there's a gap there, exactly there. So, so not only is there a tool proliferation, there's also a heavy reliance on the use of the technology. We need the technology, absolutely. There's just too much volume of data, uh, that's, that, and it's only going to increase. We need the technology, but we also need to have that, again, back to my point earlier, the relevance and that knowledge to be able to, um, to uh, analyze it properly. That's, that's where, where I believe that's going. Thank you very much. Timo, Elliot, let's get you in on this. Thoughts? So data access is a lot more decentralized than it ever used to be. There are a few reasons. One is that business people are just generally more empowered. It's because of new technology. People can do more things without having to go to their central IT department. But it's also because more and more of the data that people use to run the business isn't actually stored in the organization's uh, own IT systems. Some recent research from Forrester showed that um, 55% of the data that was used by business people actually came from outside the organization. And so naturally enough, they just don't need to call IT as much as they did 10, 20 years ago when 80% of the data came from a central data warehouse. So there's a big change of culture there, and um, it's leading to some tension between central IT organizations and the business people that... uh, want to access the information. So, you know, IT still wants to have the old-style command and control kind of structures, whereas today's business people are more than willing to go off and do their own thing. Um, You know, they can get their own analytics on a credit card if they need to these days. Mm. And uh, there are trade-offs. You get a lot more flexibility with some of these newer tools. People can go off and move very fast and do things, but not consistent, and the data quality has suffered. So I'd actually say that the data quality has probably gone down in many organizations over the last few years because of this proliferation of different tools. Thank you, Timo. Derek Laranca, let's hear from you. Thoughts? Uh, well, I don't know if it's possible or maybe just my third cup of coffee to agree with Timo and Gil any more than 100%. Uh, because uh, as... Well, what were you saying about problems with analytics? <laughs> <laughs> well, I bought a tool, Timo, that told me that I could have 110% agreement, uh, but then I, I didn't pay for maintenance, so apparently it's now just back down to 100. Uh, <laughs> but to, but to, but to uh, kind of jump on Gil's point, for lack of a better uh, term, uh, the proliferation of tools, the, the tools itself could sometimes cause, you know, some some issues. Uh, you know, Department A uses tool one, which calculates, you know, a what we thought would be a standard role of something, 
in uh, tool two in a different department calculates it a slightly different. So at the small level, the the differences are you know minuscule, but as things roll up, you know differences can agree in order of magnitude. And actually, you know, department A and B have got different numbers. Uh, You've also, you know, you lose bargaining power with multiple tools, but I've also been a strong proponent of right tool, right job. Not every analyst needs to be able to code, you know, R statements and do standard deviations. Uh, you know, but they do need to be able, they do should, they should have a tool that can allow them to do that if they need to be, if they need to, but more importantly, their tool should be the ones that take the data from the, from the scientists and the other folks, and then they can apply their business knowledge to it to visualize and uh, explore the data to look for you know to look for further answers and then be able to present that up. Uh, just being able to you know click in the click in the tool to do something isn't the same as understanding how that's done. And Gil made a great point about we're teaching to the tool and not the process behind it. Uh, and your you know, a business who has more folks who understand the behind it and know why they're clicking that button and what that button's actually doing as opposed to just, I need to do this, click the button. If your business has more of the first type of person and of that person and less of the I'm just going to click the button person, you've got a value add right there that's going to uh, really make a difference as opposed to just someone who just knows how to use the tool. And, you know, and that ties into Timo's point, I think, uh, about data quality as well. Uh, you know, just being able to, to click the click the button to do a to do an ana, to, to do a, an analysis. Wow, my English is not working well today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> to do an analysis doesn't necessarily mean you understand that when the number gets spent out, you don't know. You may not know if it looks right or not because. UK, you, you're just assuming the data is clean, whereas someone with that inherent business skill may be able to see a blip and say, something might be wrong. Why is this, why is this off here? And notices that there's a data quality issue with how they're consuming it. Uh, so, and I won't even get to Tebow's points about distributed data and data quality, because I'm sure hopefully that's going to be a topic that will come up at some point in our discussion. Uh, I, I think it will. Thank you, Derek. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm ready to move on. I think we've gone around the table on this one. I'm looking at the time, and I want to make sure we have plenty of time. Timo. Timo is being very modest, but he is offering up for conversation today something called Timo's Law of Analytics. And here it is. Business executives will never be happy with the systems provided to them why? Because as soon as we make some decisions easy by providing better data, executives will move on to the next level of complexity and uncertainty. I'm going to stop right there because it's a very interesting law, and a law means it's true, and it means we can trust it. So, Timo Elliott's Law of Analytics. Timo, why don't you explain and expand for us? I find this very interesting. Go ahead, Timo. Well, I came up with this about Ooh, 10, almost 15 years ago now, when I noticed that even though we were introducing better and better analytics technology every year, there were a few numbers that didn't change. So one of them is how much executives uh, say they make decisions using gut feel. Actually, I have some figures here. There's a study in 1997, so what, almost 20 years ago, that said at the time, that executives made decisions using hard facts just 12% of the time. 88% of the time they were using 
some uh, aspect of gut feel in their executive decision. Now, the Economist Intelligence Unit did a similar study just last year. Would you care to guess um, what happened to that 12% number? Oh, share it with us. Tell us. So even though the technology has vastly improved in the last 20 years, in the Economist Intelligence Unit study, just 10% of the executives said mm-hmm. they consistently made decisions using hard facts. So it's actually mm-hmm. gone down. The, yeah. the other number that stayed steady uh, for the last 20 years is just how satisfied or relatively dissatisfied executives are with their analytic systems. So this is clear that something strange is going on. And having worked with a lot of organizations, I think I know what it is. It's that every time we improve the technology, people just up their game and they do new stuff. I use the analogy of um, climbing up the down escalator. So we have to climb and walk up those steps just to stay still. And if we really want to improve, we have to take some huge leaps forward in the technology in order to make a dent. Now, we do do that every few years. There's some big breakthrough in technology. And uh, for a little while, the, uh, the satisfaction of executives goes up, but then they get used to it. And then they move on to the next level of complexity and the new problems they want to, uh, to work on. And the data isn't available and the technology doesn't support it yet. So their level of satisfaction drifts back down to that uh, normal level. Yeah, I, I expected it had gone down. I just didn't want to uh, take a chance on saying the wrong answer, Timo. Timo, I have a question for you. Do you think this is cultural? And I'm not talking about cultural anywhere in the world. I'm talking about the culture of being in an executive decision-making role. Any thoughts on that? It's all about progress. And this, we, we get better at stuff, and so stuff that used to be hard, that really required um, some difficult decisions, becomes easy. And we just move on to the next level. So it, it's universal. I haven't seen any particular country do this differently mm-hmm. from anywhere else. And, um, you know, so it's just one of those things where the decisions of today become the easy choices of tomorrow. The one big impact of the law is that business people forget that they have been provided with all of this great new technology. All they really realize is that they're not satisfied. They forget that they're able to make fantastic decisions that they couldn't do before. People, business people have very short memories. And so they tend to underestimate and give less credit to the organizations that actually provided them with that great technology than they probably should. And, Timo, I have one more question. I want to expand my question on on culture, and you answered me very beautifully. Thank you. question is, culture in terms of the size of the company or the maturity of the company, is this uh, something that's endemic to small companies versus what, you know, I love to call the big behemoth enterprises, the huge corporations with a, a massive global footprint? Any difference in executives' acceptance of the analytics and the data they're given and the systems they're given at a, a more established company than a smaller one? Now, we've actually done some studies on this, and mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with the, uh, the depth of the company. And it turns out that uh, executives ah. actually make more fact-based decisions in smaller organizations because they're closer to the numbers, um, they're closer to the coalface, closer to what's actually happening on the ground. As soon as you have a big organization with all of those layers, uh, the information gets so filtered and modified and changed 
that it's very hard for the top executives to really get a good picture of what's going on. That's thankfully one of the areas where big data is actually making a big difference. Because of big data and the ability to crunch massive amounts of information in a reasonable time frame, you can actually have large organizations starting to be as nimble as the smaller, the smaller ones. Ah, thank you. You read my mind. That's exactly what I was looking for. I wanted to make that word culture uh, either global or organization-specific. Thank you so much. Great research, Timo. Appreciate it. Derek Laranca, we've been talking about a lot of interesting things. Love to get your thoughts. Sure. I, I, I love Timo stats, and I would agree as someone who's worked in smaller and larger organizations that organizational culture does matter, uh, and the stat about uh, – Trusting the data does not surprise me. Uh, and even uh, trusting the tool behind the data actually seems to also come hand in hand because it seems that sometimes folks, you know, executives, users, will tie certain data into certain tools. Uh, you may have a tool with a proven track record, but suddenly they don't trust the data that's behind the tool, and they've sworn off the tool completely even though the tool itself had nothing to do with the data and the unreliability of that data behind it. So I don't want to use tool A because, you know, it was always wrong. Well, that was just, wasn't the tool. But, no, we would have had it if we bought tool B. Uh, so it doesn't happen again. Okay, but did you fix the data behind it? Uh, no, tool B will take care of that for us. Uh, it, it's it's, it's a, a problem that could be, you know, it's not necessarily solved, but it's a problem that, that, that can catch steam, and suddenly your organization is changing tools, uh, and you're not looking at that, that root of the problem, which is why aren't you trusting the data? Is it because there is an inherent data quality problem, or is it because you, uh, or is there something else systemic? Uh, large and small organizations could have, could have that same problem. Small organizations can be nimble because they're small, uh, but large organizations could also be nimble as well if, you know, allowed to be and given some freedom and some reign. Uh, you know, some IT organizations have, you know, will close ranks, uh, you know, like Gil had mentioned before, uh, and I would agree that sometimes that's necessary uh, in order to keep the data quality in house or to keep the tool from becoming, you know, too expensive or too too problematic. Uh, but large, it seems that large IT organizations are also adapting to a more flexible uh, and agile environment. Not necessarily agile as a methodology, but the word agile in its true mean, uh, you know, uh, of agility and freedom. But, uh, those that shift and those that are able to uh, really work as a partner as opposed to a service provider are going to really enable their business to take that next step into where we're going with, with all of this large data, with all of this data analysis, with all of this data science coming forward. Thank you very much, Derek. Gil Gomez at IBM, thoughts on this, please? I think it's a very interesting topic. I think this is, and I'm not mm-hmm. really surprised by Timo's numbers. I think that's, you know, that's great validation of what I've, what I've seen as well in my clients and my companies I've worked with. Um, you know, the gut feel, right? Managing by gut feel and um, ignoring the fact base, fact base because a couple of different reasons, right? That's, that's the experience. A lot of executives are uh, going through the ranks, whether that's the same company, but that's how they manage their business. Uh, but I also believe that the, the interesting point that smaller companies are better at it and they're also part of the board, but I think that's also has an advantage to, to those companies that are fact-based because I think there's a fine balance between experience and knowledge and understanding, right? Because experience can lead you the wrong direction, frankly, uh, especially in a, in a very dynamic in, industry. 
Um, things change very quickly. Information is very important. So I think that's that's a need. I think there's 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 an area that um, you know there, there will always be. I, I fully believe there will always be that you know the, the final human element of having to make that final decision based on facts, based on experience, based on all the different information. Access to the most information, reliable and trustworthy. I think that's that's important. But I think companies and executives that have those tools available to them and be able to use them effectively will be more successful because the fact is, you know, the facts win and, and they will they will be able to, uh, you have a, a clearer picture, okay? Just because you think the road is straight ahead because you've driven it a hundred times doesn't mean there's construction on it. If you don't know that information, you're going to hit that construction head on, right, in a, in a rainstorm, for example. So things change very quickly. And I think that's, without that right information, just the fact that you've driven on that road a hundred times doesn't mean that road is, also, is still the same. So, you know, in the next, in, in the next, you know, uh, you know, two miles, whatever. So my point is, I think there's that, that uh, it's not surprising, but I think there's, there's an opportunity for organizations to really get, take that experience, work with getting in the right information that's going to help them, you know, uh, lead, down that road. Uh, but I think that there needs to be a better um, balance of the two, information and experience. Thank you very much. Uh, Timo, Timo, anything you want to add to this before I move? I, there's one more topic I'd like to cover. Timo, anything you want to add before I move on? Well, I, I'm always fascinated by the, the notion of decision-making and how analytics mm-hmm. and access to data relates to decisions. I believe that executives essentially are paid to make decisions. That, that's really their job is to make difficult decisions. And the way we use that term in real life necessarily means that there's some in uncertainty involved. Um, when, when I, just to use a trivial example, when I was young, I, uh, I had an old car, and it wouldn't start on cold mornings, so I had to use a manual choke. I had to make a decision how far to pull out that manual choke in order to get the car to, to keep running. Now, that has been automatic for decades now. The car is making the decision. We don't call it a decision anymore because it's trivial. The car is doing it automatically. The same thing happens in business. Um, that We talk about decision-making. That's exactly what executives do. And that means there's always some uncertainty involved. And the way to improve decision-making, I believe, is one, better technology, absolutely, better access to data, more data mining, better algorithms, but also getting more people involved so that we can help uh, collaborate around decision-making. It's very rarely that one executive gets to decide on their own. It's much better to open up that data to more people, to crowdsource the decision-making process. And again, it's something that the technology is starting to introduce that analytics allow people to not just show the data, not just analyze it, but actively collaborate on coming up with the best decision about what that data really means. Mm-hmm. It, I have a question for you, Timo, before I cover that one last topic. Uh, we used to talk about people surrounding themselves, executives, people in power, surrounding themselves with the term with yes men, or in this case, yes people, yes women, whoever is on your board, whoever your advisors are. Uh, do you think a, a, a shrewd and, and astute use, use of analytics will bring more facts to bear rather than whatever the executive wants the group to say they should do? Any thoughts on that? More data is better, but if you have groupthink, more data just, just reinforces the, the opinions people already have. 
the way out of group groupthink, and this is something that is clone, shown really clearly by the data, is diversity. We talk a lot about diversity in business. One of the mm-hmm. huge benefits, turns out, is better decision-making because people can look at the same data but come up with different uh, understanding of how that data came about and what we should do next. Okay, thank you very much. The one topic I'm not sure we covered, I, I think we haven't covered data cleansing. I mentioned it in my intro, is data quality still a challenge? And I know, Derek LaRonca, you have covered this in your notes you sent me. You say cleansing the data isn't just about making sure there are matches, it's making sure the data stored in the target system was moved without an issue. So I think we're talking about data integrity. Can we touch on this just briefly, please? Well, oh, my goodness, we're mm-hmm. almost out of time. Uh, Derek, why don't you give me a one-sentence answer, and then we're going to have to go into our predictions round. I apologize. I wasn't watching Not the clock. A, Derek, quick thoughts. I'll make it pretty, I'll make it pretty simple. The, the cleaner the data, the better your answer. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. And my data tells me we have four minutes left till the end of the show. I thought we had about 14 minutes having too much fun here. So let's turn this back to Derek LaRonca again. Derek, it's time for predictions, the crystal ball round, we like to call it. So, Derek, look into the crystal ball. I love the year 2020. You may or may not. If we forward to whatever time in the future you can see clearly, Derek LaRonca, uh, who works for a Fortune 50 healthcare company and has a great vantage point on this, our topic today. Derek, what will be different about the conversation? So I'm going to give you exactly 60 seconds for predictions. Derek, go. Well, I think what I think is going to be different is I think that everybody is going to be used to a world where everything is dealing with quote-unquote big data. Folks are going to be in a world where they're going to have to understand where it came from, how it got there, and what they actually need to do with it. Uh, we won't be constrained by we won't be constrained by just being able to press a button and waiting for something. Uh, there will always be some form of waiting as the data points and everything uh, in this world gets bigger. You know, Internet of Things is going to create more data points. Uh, you know, location data. It, it's a matter of the steps that need to be taken to get that data to a point that it's usable and actionable. And the folks who can then take the action with the data to understand it and predict and utilize it to make quality business decisions to move their corporations and organizations forward, they're going to be the ones positioned for success. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, you did it. Gil Gomez, IBM. Talk to me. 60 seconds. Predictions go. Gil. I think a lot of, there's going to be a lot more reliance on the predictive side of things. We're having uh, technology really uh, taking all this big data, all the different data points, and trying to predict what's what's out there, you know, and, and really uh, improve that decision-making. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, again, I, I still believe that there's a human element and there should be a fine balance between that. And over-reliance on the technology could be a, a downside, but I think it's an important aspect to keep in mind and how to use that predictive capabilities, you know, with, with all the new, new technology of, uh, of being able to, uh, the next generation supercomputing, for example, the next generation of, you know, predictive analytics uh, work, that's that's very important. I think that's going to be, we're going to see a lot more of that across the board of taking all these big data uh, points and, you know, correlating them and making that prediction. I think that's going to be um, uh, the next big evolution, in my opinion. And, uh, again, we just have to be careful that we have that balance with the decision, the human factor of it. But I think that's an important point. We certainly do. Thank you so much. Timo Elliott, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. Go. In 2020, analytic infrastructures will be massively more sophisticated than today, and yet executives will be just as dissatisfied with them as they are today. 
The one thing I do hope will change for the better is that uh, a new generation of executives who have grown up with computing, mm-hmm. with fact-based decision-making, will be starting to take over senior positions in organizations all over the world, and we'll see a step change in the sophistication of our decision-making, not just our analytic infrastructures. Very profound. Thank you, all three. Derek LaRanca, such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for sharing your words of wisdom and insights. Gil Gomez at IBM, thank you. And please say hello to our friends at IBM for always sending us such interesting speakers. Timo Elliott, what can I say? I feel like you're my sidekick. Always words of wisdom, and I love Timo's law of analytics. Uh, let's see. I'll be back in one hour with a new episode of Business Innovation with Game Changers. We're talking about diversity suppliers and business networks. David versus Goliath in 2015 and beyond. Great topic. I want to thank Brad Borkin and Phil Durbin, the sponsors of Digital World with Game Changers. This is episode number 13, I believe, if my data is correct and my analytics are correct, Timo. And that means we're going to go on hiatus for a while until they renew the series. Hopefully, Digital World will come back in the fall or next winter. I look forward to it. And a shout-out to Brad Comer and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll see you in one hour on Business Innovation with Game Changers. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, right now. Get the data. Do it. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.